Are you ready for the intro? <laughs> yes, Andrew. Because he can't listen to your have the conversation. He's he said, give me other headphones. I'm going to watch Grand Hotel on my phone while you're oh, recording. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Which one? Oh. All right. I'm not that caught up. Go ahead, Todd. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joseph Dorowski. And this week we are joined by special guest... Henry Dorowski. Yes. Nephew of Joseph. My nephew, great patron of the podcast. And mine. <laughs> and, and producer Andrew's nephew. <laughs> uh, and he has requested <laughs> that we talk about the film The Dark Knight from 2008. And we're mostly going to be focusing our discussion on the Joker, who was performed by... Heath Ledger in one of the better performances, I would say, in all of superhero film history. No, the best performance in all of yeah, superhero film I history. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> He's pretty creepy. He does creepy really, really well. Yes, indeed. Uh, and this film, as I said, it was a 2008 film. It was directed by Christopher Nolan, and the screenplay was by Christopher Nolan and his brother, Jonathan. Uh, though the story was also broken by David S. Goyer. So... Do we know? Do we have the uh, the uh, Rotten Tomatoes? Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomato score for this film. Yeah, ninety four percent. Yep, that's correct. Ninety four. Ninety four. This one's a big. Pretty hitter. high. Yeah, and when we talk about the trivia, we'll add a little bit more about its critical reception. Before we jump into our discussion, we just remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and thirty day free trial at www.audibletrial.com/slash/protagonist where over 180,000 titles uh, await you for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or if you're going old school, your MP3 player. Thank you, Todd. Uh, I guess before we even get into the trivia, should we do the uh, how we all came to the film, oh, The Dark Knight? Yeah. Sure. I saw it. It's opening weekend. What about you, Todd? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it in the theaters even. I saw it um, on DVD probably as soon as it was released on DVD. And I remember watching it one time and feeling like, man, that was a dark, grim film. And I never watched it again (laughs) (laughs) until last night. (laughs) Yeah, I saw it one time and then I thought, you know what? I I get it and I I get why people think that this is a, a really great film. But um, I just like it. Uh, I don't know. There's something about it that's just like really weighs on me, and uh, and so I watched it one time. <laughs> Batman, uh, Batman, was it Dark Knight Returns? Uh, Dark Knight I've, Rises. I've seen Dark Knight Rises. I've I've watched multiple times. It's, it's I I really like it. Yeah, the one with Bane. You feel it, George. Uh, I, um, but this one was like, I saw it, I get it. I get why, I get why people really, really like this film, but for some reason it just, I don't know, something, it just weighed on me in a way that I was like, I don't know that I want to put myself through that again. And when I watched it last night, it was like, yep, that's pretty much how I remember this film. <laughs> it's really dark and really, really grim. Uh, and, um, so anyway, that's my, that's my story. All right, uh, Henry. When what about this, you, Henry? When this came All out, right. you were probably too young to respond. No, I it. was about eight years old when this came out. So uh, I hope I, you did not see it when you were eight years old. Yeah, um, I have a funny story. So I was with my mother and Joseph's sister Kate, who's also my aunt, and we are going to go to the ama- the 
Peter, well, what's his name? Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man film. And uh, that was sold out. So my mom had seen it. The, this was the Monday after the opening weekend. So she's like, okay, I think we could probably take him to the Dark Knight Rises. And, so the uh, third part of the trilogy yeah, that you hadn't seen. Sequel. I had had you seen, seen Batman I, Begins? No. So you hadn't seen Batman Begins or The Dark Knight, and you're going to go see The Dark Knight Rises? Yeah. And so, funny story, I was about eight, and then I was with my aunt at the time, who was 24, and so that film is not all ages by any means, but so... Oh, wait, how old were you when Dark Knight Rises came out? Uh, I was in fourth grade. (laughs) So, like... Oh, man. 11? Like 10 or 11? Yeah. And so, they didn't ask me, or I, I, yeah, they asked me, like, are you sure you're old enough to see this film, young man? And I was like, yeah. And then... Kate, who was 24, they, they asked her the same question, and she was pretty pretty upset. But then we saw it, and I loved it, and I went home, and I'm sure I watched the next, the previous two as soon as I could. I, I remember uh, my sister Kate telling me about you watching The Dark Knight by yourself, and like coming out and walking up to her with your eyes wide and said, this is so scary, but so good. And then yeah. like pacing around the room and then going back to watch some more of it. Yeah. <laughs> like so you lost it. Yeah. <laughs> if I went to, if I went to a movie theater today to watch the dark Knight, and somebody asked me if I was old enough to watch it, I think I would probably say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, some trivia about this film. It, it, um, as I'm sure most of our listeners are aware, Heath Ledger died, uh, be- between, the end of filming his role and the release of the movie. And his performance is quite famous and he won basically every best supporting actor award that exists. Only ever comic character, comic superhero movie uh, character to win an Oscar. Yes. Pretty prestigious. Um, and there's, Also, as we said, it it was very well received by the critics. At the time, the Academy Awards had a rule that only five films would be nominated for Best Picture. This film was not nominated, and there was a lot of asking as to why, because it was the film that had been on more critics' best of lists at the end of the year than it had been on more critics' lists than any other film that was released in the year. So they're like, if it's on everyone's best list, more so than any film that was actually nominated, why wasn't this one nominated? And the next year, the Academy Awards switched uh, and announced that 10 films could be nominated for Best Picture every year. And a lot of people wow. feel that it is because they wanted to have some more uh, options for things that are commercially popular and critically popular, but it, there was a good stretch where they didn't like commercially popular things. They just liked the critically popular wow. things when it came to Best Picture films. And uh, the president of the Academy said, like, he was asked, is this because of The Dark Knight? And all he would say is, I, I would be lying if I said the, the words Dark Knight were not mentioned in the room. <laughs> when we were talking about (laughs) making this change. So it does seem to have changed the way the Academy Awards function. A couple other random notes. Uh, Christopher Nolan has cited that um, the original Batman origin from the, or the the original Joker comic book when he first appeared in the 1940s was a source that they looked at for this, as well as a graphic novel called The Killing Joke and another one called The Long Halloween. And, the commissioner in Gotham City in the film is, before Gordon takes over, is Commissioner Loeb, and The Long Halloween was written by Jeff Loeb, so that seems like a, a shout-out to him. Yeah. Yeah, I def- this definitely feels like um, Long Halloween to me. Yes, there are. The, the relationship between Gordon and um, 
Batman, Batman Harvey and, Dent. and Harvey Dent mm. is, is that rooftop scene is directly adapted. Pretty yeah, much. there there are some direct lines that are lifted up in some of the the filming of the, a rooftop scene between those three. It seems to comes directly from the Long Halloween. All right, cool. uh, before we get into a full spoiler summary of this film, Todd, would you like to tell our listeners what it's about? Uh, yeah, so this is the second film in a trilogy, um, and in Batman Begins. We get the story of the origin of Batman. Uh, at this point, Batman or Bruce Wayne is—he's—he's he's kind of in the middle of cleaning up Gotham City, and things seem to be going, I would say, fairly well for him. Like he seems to be cleaning up crime, and now he's going after the big mob bosses, and the mob bosses are. Well, there's, a, there's uh, the the character of the Joker shows up, and he's just a complete wild card, and nobody really knows who he is or what he wants, except that he causes lots of mayhem. And the story is oh, and there's also um, Harvey Dent, who's the district attorney, and he he's a really good guy. And Batman is considering like, man, maybe I could retire and just turn over uh, crime in the city to this uh, to Harvey Dent because he seems like. Like a like a really upstanding guy, and so it's a this the film is a relationship between uh, Bruce Wayne, and Batman, um, uh, Harvey Dent, the Joker, and uh, and Jim Gordon, who is the uh, police lieutenant at the time. You may have noticed and, from uh, that from that description that I I don't believe this film passes the Bechdel test. I think it gets mm. one no, point. It's not. <laughs> one point out of th- one point out of three. <laughs> there, there are more than one females yeah. with speaking parts, but I don't think they ever talk to each other. Oh, uh, I think no, you're right. I don't I think, think it does pass the back. When they're test. at the dinner at the hotel, do the Bruce's date and Rachel do they talk to each other? <laughs> do they both have names? They're mm. Natasha mm. and Rachel. Oh, maybe they maybe. do have names. And they might talk to each other, but but do they talk to each other about something that's not no, men? About they're, they're just talking about, about Batman. Yeah, they're talking about a man. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's yeah. the scene that would be the closest to anything mm-hmm. in this. Uh, okay. Well, if that sounds interesting, listeners, if you haven't seen the film, now will be the chance to pause this and go watch it. I don't believe it's available on any of the streaming services for you know that that you can subscribe to, but you could certainly purchase it on a streaming service, or you could go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon and purchase it's it through on there. sale for only six dollars for the Blu-ray. You can purchase it there. You can also rent. You can also rent it um, online, and it's it's anyway, it's available to rent online. Okay, <laughs> I know because I rented it. I rented it last <laughs> night from my hotel room <laughs> to be able to watch it for this discussion. Just to watch it for this discussion until two o'clock in the morning. That's the kind of dedication you get. Yeah, I will say. Uh, when I was watching it last night to get ready for this, there did come a point where I thought, "This is a really long movie." <laughs> yeah, it's two hours and thirty minutes. So, uh, I fell asleep one time, but it but it was like one thirty in the morning, and so it's it's cer- it's certainly not a sleeper. It's a it's a very intense movie, but it is long. Uh, this long summary, listeners, was written by Henry, but he asked me to go ahead and read it because I've done it a few more times <laughs> on the podcast. 
The film begins with a gang of criminals robbing a bank. While doing their various tasks in order to get away with this crime, they talk about the Joker, the mysterious character that no one seems to know anything about but seems to have put together this group of criminals. The criminals begin shooting each other so that they each get a larger share at the end. And eventually there are only two left. It is revealed that one of these two is the Joker. He smiles, takes out the final member, and then drives away with all the cash. At night, Batman goes to take out Scarecrow from Batman Begins, and some of the mob are trying to buy drugs from him. Batman finds, uh, when he's doing this, though, that there are some copycats that uh, that try to stop the crime. They fail. These copycats fail. So they're, they're Batman wearing lame homemade... Wearing hockey pads. Lame homemade outfits. <laughs> and Batman is... Can I ask no- a question about this? Yeah. Uh, so the the Scarecrow that he's gone to stop that night... Is that the real Scarecrow from Yeah, from Batman yeah. Begins? Yeah, Killian Murphy is one of the, besides uh the, like the main cast like he's the only side character that keeps showing up in I mean so so okay. yeah, you got uh, Batman's little coterie of helpers that show up in all the films. So he's the only villain I think that recurs in all the films. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Uh, and Batman, he stops the criminals, but he also ties up the copycat Batman that were trying to help him and tells them to stay home and stop doing this. And then he goes to a makeshift uh, makeshift Batcave because in the first film Wayne Manor was destroyed, uh, and so he's kind of set up a, a Batcave away from the Batcave. And he talks about Harvey Dent, the new district attorney, with Alfred, and he says that he likes Harvey Dent's idealism and that Harvey Dent could be like a true in the daytime hero that Gotham needs. Gotham needs a face for a hero. Uh, Lieutenant Gordon and Harvey Dent form an alliance to try and get rid of the organized crime in Gotham. The mob bosses uh, that they're wanting to take down, they hold a video conference with a man named Lau, who is a corrupt accountant who handles all their money. Uh, The Joker walks in on this meeting, though, and tells them that they're scared of the Batman, and he offers to kill Batman for half of all of their money. One of the bosses doesn't like this, and he puts a bounty out on Joker's head. Later on, some thugs claim that they've killed the Joker, and this mob boss is about to pay them when the Joker jumps out of the body bag. So he'd just been playing dead inside of this body bag. And he he tells a story about how he got his scars on his face. So this version of the Joker like has a mangled face around his lips yeah. uh, that kind of makes a scarred smile. And he talks tells a version of a story of how he got those scars, and then kills the mob boss. And he takes over uh, that particular mob. Batman tracks Lao down in Hong Kong. Um, so there was this issue of if they wanted to try and legally take down Lao, the, the extradition was going to be very hard. So Batman just goes and grabs him. I don't know about the legality of all of that, but once he's on Gotham soil, they they have their hand, the, the you know, the police have their hands on are, him. Are we really concerned about the legality of what of anything yeah. that Batman does? If, if we start to go down this rabbit hole, we may never come out. So we should just move on. Uh, <laughs> once he's in Gotham, Lao. Admits- Before you move on, I have to say one thing about the tel- the teleconference with Lao. The, the television that that's on is like, I think it's the only thing that dates this film. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it's on like an old tube television. Yeah, it, it was not. And I don't, like, I, I was wondering, like, how did they even set that up? Like, what are the connections that you would need? Where's the camera? What kind of computer are they running this thing on? Like, where's the camera? He just shows up on this old timey TV. Old timey. I mean, what? When did this come out? 19, 2000 something? 2008. <laughs> eight years ago but it feels that just that one tv is like really that's the best tech you could come up with in okay. 2008 so, so oh. when todd says old timey he doesn't mean like black and white rabbit ear <laughs> television he just means it's not no, the flat panel just... smart tv that we mm-hmm. have today yes <laughs> all right um 
Where were we at? Okay. So, uh, Lau has been pulled from Hong Kong and he's now in Gotham and he admits to handling the mob's money. And that means that because of the way some laws about racketeering and, um, other things work that they're able to actually go and arrest everyone who Lau did business with. So they rid the city, they arrest all of the organized crime in the city, basically. Uh, the Joker then says that every day that Batman doesn't real reveal his identity to the public, people are going to die. And he starts by killing Commissioner Loeb and the judge that is presiding over the mob trial and also uh, the mayor. Well, he tries to kill the mayor. Tips. But but Gordon uh, sacrifices himself to stop that. Uh, Batman attempts to find out about the Joker, but his attempts are fruitless as he doesn't have a DNA match, a name, or any useful information about who this man is or where he came from. The Joker makes an attack on Harvey Dent at a fundraiser that Bruce Wayne is holding. Uh, Bruce hides Harvey Dent, and then uh, Rachel, who is Batman's, or Bruce Wayne's girlfriend from Batman Begins, who is now dating Harvey Dent. I guess that's some important information. She confronts the Joker until Batman comes in and saves her, sort of. He tells a different story about how he gets Oh, yes. In the the scene, the Joker does also tell a second story about how he got scars on his face. I will say... I, love, I like this film a lot. It's a very strong film. But this scene is maybe the most problematic for me <laughs> as far as suspension of disbelief. Because Joker throws Rachel off a very, very tall skyscraper. Batman jumps after after her, catches her, and then they both land on the roof of a car and hop up <laughs> as though nothing has She's happened. She's Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Thank you for pointing he, that out. The, 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 the cape doesn't even, like, fan out to slow down That's the ball. They just... They just crash really hard. Uh, they don't and, land on like a canopy or anything. They nope. just land on top of a car. And also Joker is still up there with all the guests. And we just cut to the next day. <laughs> like, did the Joker just walk out of the party? Never mind. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it's a, it's definitely probably the, I'll tell you the thing that works in that scene is Rachel's courage in standing up to Joker, but also her, like how terrified she is. And, and the way that like the way that they interact with each other in that scene, I think is is magic. It's like Heath Ledger doing his best Joker, and I think the way that she acts with him is is really great. Yeah, it, um, it is a fantastic but then, scene. But then the whole thing falls apart when they toss him out the <laughs> toss him out the window. Yeah, they got into some really good things. They didn't know how to get out, and I don't know that they chose the best way out of that scene. <laughs> Agreed, Bruce begins to believe in Harvey so much that he thinks Harvey Dent is going to transform Gotham and Gotham is no longer going to need Batman. And that means that he, Bruce Wayne, not Batman, but Bruce Wayne will be able to start leading a normal life with Rachel. Uh, the threat of Joker's threat that more people are going to be targeted still looms out there. And they have reason to suspect that Rachel is going to be the next target. So Bruce decides that he needs to reveal that he is Batman so that no one else is going to get killed before he does that though. Harvey Dent, holds a press conference and says, I'm Batman. It's kind of an I am Spartacus moment. Uh, they, they take Harvey Dent <laughs> into custody for, you know, all the criminal things that Batman has done, which are Legion. <laughs> and the Joker, though, attacks the vehicle that Harvey Dent is being transported in. Batman, though, arrives in the Batmobile. So so they think they have Batman in the transport yeah. vehicle. I, I can only imagine what everyone who's trying to follow this, like, in the city is thinking. <laughs> because they think <laughs> Harvey Dent is Batman. The Joker is attacking Batman in there. But then another Batman shows up. Uh, the Batmobile gets really beat up, but he has this cool bat pod that comes out of it. And, uh, then he takes out the giant semi-truck that the Joker has been driving in his attack that has 
mangled the city and ruined a lot of infrastructure and probably led to lots of deaths. This, yes. This <laughs> car chase That are handled scene. with little to no remorse. Yes. This car chase scene was pretty violent. Uh, and the Joker is now out of his semi-trailer and he's, he sees Batman coming at him and he's like yelling at Batman, hit me! Yes, hit me! Uh, but Batman can't do it. He, you know, he can't reach to that level that the Joker's at. Even though a lot of innocents were probably just killed in yeah. this process. <laughs> um, and, uh, Batman like crashes the bat pod. Joker uh, starts attacking him. But then uh, a policeman runs up and it's revealed that it's Gordon who the city had been announced to the city that Gordon died saving the mayor earlier. I'm not 100% sure on what. How? But, <laughs> but, but Gordon is still alive here. And they find out now that Dent and Rachel have been kidnapped by the Joker though. So Batman interrogates the and, Joker. Uh, Gordon's now the commissioner. Yeah, Gordon's been made commissioner. They have the Joker in custody, so everything feels great. But then they find out that the Joker has had Dent and Rachel kidnapped. And Batman is given the locations of both. And Joker says, you have to choose one. And Batman goes after Rachel's uh, place and tells the police to go after Harvey. Um Hopefully they just put out an APB for everyone. Go yeah. to these two locations. If you're closer, get there first. <laughs> uh, but then when they arrive, they find out that Batman was tricked. He, he thought he was going to rescue Rachel, but he finds Harvey Dent there. And Harvey Dent is surrounded by all these gas cans. And he's falling down. And he's he's and he sopping, sopping in gasoline as Batman pulls him out. Gas. And uh, the police are trying to get to where Rachel is, but then the bombs go off and Rachel is killed. And Dent's, uh, the explosion lights all the gasoline that's on one half of his body on fire. And he survives, but he's horribly half scarred. Half of his body is burned to a significant degree. Yes. Uh, before she died, Rachel had sent a letter to Bruce saying that, you know what, uh, Bruce, you need to get over me. <laughs> I'm choosing, yeah. I'm choosing Harvey. You have some issues that I'm not going to be able to deal with. And Alfred is like, reads the letter and says, you know what, Bruce maybe doesn't need to read that. Yeah. <laughs> he just sets that Can aside. Can I point one thing out about this scene? Yeah. So I like the idea of Batman having the bat suit on, but not the mask. Cause that, that's kind of, I think who Batman really is. But he's in his big Bruce Wayne famous penthouse. He's just sitting there in the bat suit with all these open windows around, you know. He's big <laughs> exposed. Yeah. <laughs> he's pretty exposed. <laughs> if uh if there were any peeping toms around that were yeah. wondering what Bruce Wayne was getting up to, they'd they'd realize right away. <laughs> he's Batman. That's what he's up to. <laughs> he could just um, tell him it's cosplay. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I just, just was dressing up. Uh, so earlier in the film, we actually met a man named Coleman Reese, who was an accountant that was looking into the Wayne Enterprises finances. He started noticing a lot of weird things, and so he deduced... The Batmobile that, Yeah, he deduced that Bruce Wayne is really Batman, and he had said, well, I'm just, I, I want to be paid money to not reveal the secret. And yeah, uh, Morgan Freeman, what's yeah. his name? Lucius Fox, yes. uh, gave this great Lucius quote. Where, like, where you want a, a guy who spends his night beating criminals to a pulp with his bare hands? And your plan is to blackmail this person? So at that point, Coleman Reese uh, shuts up. But now that there's all these threats about Batman revealing his identity, um, he's, he announces that he's ready to go public with who Batman really is. But Joker switches his, his threat. And on the very talk show that he's about to Yeah, Coleman Reese is on this public talk show, and Joker calls him and says, you know what, instead of killing someone if Batman's identity isn't revealed, I'm going to blow up a hospital if Coleman Reese isn't killed. And, uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, saves Reese from various attackers, but the Joker does go into the hospital where Harvey Dent is, and he has 
a really great, greatly scripted yes. scene with mm-hmm. uh, Harvey Dent and well acted by Aaron Eckhart, BYU's own Aaron Eckhart, <laughs> Aaron Eckhart, uh, and Heath Ledger. They do a great scene together uh, as the hospitals are, are all evacuated, but Harvey Dent gets loose in the craziness. And the Joker says that if nobody wants to be part of the game, then they need to leave Gotham City. And everyone attempts to evacuate Gotham City. Can I say a quick bit of trivia about that hospital scene? Yeah. Okay. So, you know uh, how he presses the detonator and then he walks out and then all the bombs stop. And then he starts, like, spamming it. And then they all... That was actually improv by Heath Ledger. And so the bombs on set, the props, they malfunctioned. And then Heath Ledger just did that out of nowhere. Just kept going. With yeah, the just kept going. And then that that made the final cut. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm sure a lot of those bomb <laughs> blasts are CGI that were added mm-hmm. in later. But there were ones on set that were going off and, and something had gone wrong with some mm-hmm. of the timers. And they didn't go off when they were supposed to. And Heath Ledger just <laughs> stayed in character as the Joker and went with it. Wow. Um, as everyone is attempting to evacuate Gotham City... Um, Harvey is going around killing those responsible for Rachel's death. So he knows there must be crooked cops. He figures out mm-hmm. who they are and he goes. And, um, as he's doing this, he has this coin. So early on in the film, he talks about making his own luck and he'd always say heads and tails to people like heads. I do this tails. You do that. And he flipped the coin and everyone's always rolling their eyes. Like he can't leave that to the luck. And he's just, he would always just say, I make my own luck. We find out that it's a two headed coin. So it was always me heads. So whatever he wanted mm. to happen was going to happen. Um, one half of the coin got really scarred up in the explosion. So now he has the dark face and the light face, even as he has just like his one half of his face has been split down as two face. Um, so one half of his face is super scarred and the other half is normal. And I've got to say about that, um, really creepy makeup for two face. So creepy. I don't know how. Oh my gosh. But, uh, the one eyeball that has no eyelids, that's, that thing's got to dry out a lot, right? (laughs) Because it's so, it's so disturbing. we, We need eyelids to keep our eyes wet. It's got to be like the Sahara under the, you know that eyeball. Maybe um, he has maybe he has like a little a little spray bottle, and he just sprays <laughs> himself in the eye. Like <laughs> every time he's not on camera, he's like giving giving himself a little pump in the eye, a little squirt in the eye. Yeah, I, I before we started recording, I was talking with producer Andrew, and I said like the the first investment if that happens to you is an eyedropper. But I like your idea of a, just a full spray bottle. Just yeah, hold up. That yeah, thing I bet it's like. It's probably it's probably pink. It probably has some flowers on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the one you mean. <laughs> yeah the the one that your the one that your wife uses or that you use to to spray your your girl's hair before you brush it. Yeah, that exactly. one. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so as Harvey's now going around killing people, uh, everyone's trying to get through every exit out of Gotham that they can. Um, people are leaving on ferries, but then they find out that two of the ferries are rigged to blow up. One of the ferries has criminals. They emptied out the jails uh, in the city. The other ferry has normal c- citizens on it. Joker says that at midnight, both of them are going to blow up. But if, uh, well, both ships have a detonator to the opposite ship, which they can use to blow up one of the ships. And if one of the ships blows up before midnight, the other one will not be blown up. So they're given this choice. Everyone dies or you blow up the other person's boat. And you live. Is any is anybody else astonished at how easily Joker seems to be able to get his hands on explosives? Right? How does he get and place them? Hundred barrels of gas. Yeah, under so the many barrels of gasoline. Which, of Gotham. which in two thousand eight, I don't think gasoline was cheap at that point. This like, is, they're and he's, he's moving these barrels of gasoline left and right through the city, and he also he was pretty confident that they were going to put criminals on one boat and citizens yeah. on another. He knew the evacuation yeah. plans for Gotham. 
Um, people begin. Yeah, oh, it's not a perfect. It's not a perfect film. I mean, we are <laughs> picking at nits, and I don't remember noticing all of those the first time I saw it. I remember just leaving and saying, that was "I noticed a it." Movie. I noticed it the second time I saw it. Yeah. Um, as this is happening, Batman is going after Joker, and I think it's important to note that he does this with some surveillance systems that he's put into everyone's cell phones. Yes. <laughs> that he uses... Uh, Lucius Foxes yes. telling him where to go. He uses everyone's cell phones to spy on the entire city of Gotham and figure out where, where Joker is. Um, Lucius has some real moral qualms about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Batman's like, it's okay, it's just one time. <laughs> you just, just, just go with it. Because no one ever abuses technology once it's been out of, out of the bag. <laughs> uh, but he does, so Batman not only does, to, to help assuage Lucius's concerns, he does say, you're the only one who has a code how to be able to use this, and you also have the code to destroy it as soon as we're done, as soon as we stop the Joker. Um, but we should come back and circle around to that point, because it is an interesting point in the film. I agree. Uh, and uh Batman he goes and he takes out all the Joker's henchmen. Uh he's gotta, you know, power his way through this abandoned building, because abandoned buildings are great sites for superhero fights. Yep. Uh and then he, he dukes it out with the Joker one on one. And uh he Joker is his plan is that he's gonna bring Batman like make Batman as or show that everyone can be as as bad as the Joker. That you know, everyone with a bad enough day is gonna be like the Joker. Um and he, as one point of evidence for this, he says, I brought Harvey down to our level. Like, I've made him mm-hmm. as crazy as you are, Batman, <laughs> and as I am as the Joker. Um, but at, at this moment, the clock strikes for when the fairy should, one of the, the you know, the, one of the fairies needed to have detonated the other, mm-hmm. and neither fairy has detonated the other. So, so there should have both blown up. But they going back and forth, showing... Uh, the normal citizens voting and saying, well, they, you know, they're criminals. They've lived their lives. We should blow them up. Uh, but they then, can't bring themselves to do it. Yeah. Even though they vote and one person who's like the jerk on the boat that you're supposed to hate. Yes, I hate him. <laughs> uh, like he gets his hand on the dinner. He's like, if you guys can't do it, we voted. I'm going to go ahead and do it. But he can't bring himself to actually blow up the other boat. And on the criminals vote, uh, like the Big, biggest, meanest criminal that you like, can imagine. <laughs> Mike Tyson. And tattoos. I love that He guy. stands up and walks over. And he grabs the detonator and he says, give it to me and I'm going to do what you should have done. In a did. really creepy, whispering voice. Yeah. And then he uh, he gets the detonator and every, you can tell people are expecting him to blow up the other boat, but he just throws it out the window and then he goes and sits down and starts praying. How does he know? Um, how does he know that that won't, like, accidentally detonate <laughs> the other boat? Like, I don't know. God, stop, stop thinking of it. Stop it. It seems like, it seems like, I don't know. I would, I would Throw, trust it to just like, this just throw it just out the, the window into the sea. Like it's, is, is it, is it going to blow up if it shorts? Like he must have a remarkable understanding of uh, like small electronics and, and giant right. bombs. Can I throw out some headcanon about the sequence? Yes. I always envisioned it such that the Joker lied about which detonator was which. And had they turned the switch, they would have blown up their own boat. I'll take that. Uh, that's Joker. I like that. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that sounds like him. Yeah, yeah. He's he's willing to turn around on a dime <laughs> about what his plan is, and you know, not be completely honest. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, you you may think we're done because they have the Joker, but there's still Harvey Dent, Two Face, running around <laughs> killing people, and he has kidnapped Commissioner Gordon's wife and children. And Batman, Batman finds Harvey, uh, and Gordon and his family, and Harvey is holding them at gunpoint, and he talks about what is fair in the world. 
So Batman gets shot by by Two Face, uh, and and then he's still holding a child hostage. But then Batman leaps up at the key moment and tackles Harvey off of the ledge of the building, and he's holding on to Harvey and holding. Uh, well, no, Harvey falls. Then he's Batman's holding on to Gordon's child, right, the son. Yes, and then he yeah. hoists no, Gordon's ba- son. Batman's holding on the right, but he's got Gordon's son with him. Yeah, and then he throws up Gordon. Yeah, son. He, he gets Gordon's son up to uh, Commissioner Gordon, and then Batman falls down the exact same height that just killed Harvey, but Batman's Batman's fine. fine. <laughs> After just getting shot and dropped from multiple stories. Yeah, and he's not only is he fine, he is spry, as we're yeah, going to see in a moment. sprinting. Because Batman says, he has a conversation with, with Gordon, where he says, I need to take the blame so that the city can still believe that Harvey Dent was a good person, and that the the uh you know all the prosecutions that were in process will still will still go out say that this was me and the movie ends with gordon giving a monologue about this is the hero that we need not the hero we deserve or was it the hero we no No, it's the hero we need (laughs) the hero we need okay there's a hero that gotham needs and a hero that gotham deserves and batman's both of them but we don't know it i think that's what the monologue means am i there (laughs) it's confusing So famously, no, he says he's the hero Gotham needs, but not what right. he deserves. Okay, that's it. And he says the he's line. the watchful protector, silent guardian, and then the Dark Knight. I'll just say that I thought he was the one they deserve and not the one they need right now. I can't remember. Oh, uh, but I will just say uh, this movie came out right around when Marvel's cinematic universe was taking off, and and Robert Downey Jr. famously Iron Man. But he said. Maybe I'm not intellectual enough, but I don't understand why Batman needs to be the bad guy at the end of The Dark Knight. (laughs) And and I think as we've demonstrated with this monologue, like it's an iconic monologue and a lot of people quote it, but I'm not sure it is particularly clear (laughs) on all of the meanings there. But uh, once Batman says, I'm going to take the fall, the police are on him immediately they are sending yeah. dogs after him no head start <laughs> yeah he's like I, I imagine he's like look at gordon's like really the dogs already gordon could i not get to my bat pod before you unleash them on me uh and it ends with the police chasing batman and then a pan up into the night sky I think. Mm-hmm. the end thank you henry for having written that summary well done it's a pretty I'm complicated s- story I'm sorry if... it, it is, is complicated it's hard to follow yes um and Part of that complication, I think, comes from pretty much everyone's favorite part. The Joker in this movie is just chaos, and that means there's a lot of chaos in the plot. Yeah. So I I was just going to say one thing about uh, that stood out to me as I was watching this last night, and it's it's interesting because like the level of violence in this film, there's almost no blood. It's not. It's not like a. Yeah, a it's, a, it's, it's not a particularly bloody film, and and certainly like if you're just going letter of the law, it's not. There's nothing in this that's like really egregious or offensive, uh, but, but I think it's a testament to the filmmaking that it feels it feels like a far more violent film than it is, um, and the and like they really get their bang for their buck on the way that violence is, is used throughout this film uh, to create an emotional, I think an emotional reaction in people. Um, and it, it's, I just thought, I thought it was so interesting. Like I watched um, what we talked about X-Men age of apocalypse. It's a far more violent, violent film, like bloody film than this is, but this feels like a more violent film. Does that make sense? I don't know if it feels more violent, but it certainly feels thematically darker and tonally darker. Very grim. 
yeah, it's like the like the personal nature of the violence and the random nature of the violence. There's something really shocking in that. Um, well, I think there was for me. Like, yeah, and so, some of the moments, like most of the the, like you said, the worst violence is off screen. Well, but like, like the build up to it is so palpable. Like that. the video camera shot when he's torturing the fake Batman. Yes. Like it's Ooh. so raw, and it. I don't know if it's because of the video camera handy footage. Like it, it, you don't get the distance that you usually have from film. Uh, in watching that scene, like it f- makes it feel more real world. Um, it's really disturbing. It's like a, it's like watching a Hitchcock film. In the way everything is is implicit uh, or imp- implied to the the audience, but not explicitly yes. shown. Where it, it reminds me of like the or the shower scene in Psycho, where the you never see the knife uh, touch her skin or pierce her skin, but if you if you go back and replay it in your mind. You you do, but well but, in in the scene in the scene where Joker is killing the mob boss, you can tell that he's about to cut the smile into his face with a knife. Yes, and there's a really loud like musical build up to that, and they never show they just cut back and they don't show him being sliced up, but you can definitely feel it. Yes, yeah, and you know what has happened even though none of it was on screen. Same with like the actual killing of the fake Batman, like you don't see it, but you, you know what happened. <laughs> yeah. And it and disturbs you. It's yeah. in, I mean, in true comic fashion, like what's in the gutter is what makes you, is what makes it so powerful, right? Like you fill in with your imagination, you fill in the gutters and that's your, you're drawn into this telling the story and it's what makes this film so powerful. It's also what makes it like so hard for me to watch. Because I feel so emotionally invested in it, where I could watch, yeah, you know, not, another uh, film that's more that has more like quote unquote violence, right? Like more blood. If you see Wolverine go on a rampage uh, through the Weapon X facility, like that's a that's an extreme extremely violent scene in in uh, in the new X Men film, but emotionally like void. And mm-hmm. and here I, we I see. I completely agree. I agree. So anyway, I just thought it was one of the things that I think is it, – it's one of the reasons why, like, in my head, I know that this is a a really well-made, like, a good film. But in my heart, I'm just like, oh, I cannot bring myself to watch it because uh, because it sucks it, – it pulls on my emotions in a way that's just terribly uncomfortable for me. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit specifically about The Joker and Heath Ledger's performance, which I – say completely deserved (laughs) all the awards that it got um there was a lot of buzz building beforehand and i do not envy is it how do you say his name is it jared leto or leto jared uh, i think it's okay i want to say leto oh (laughs) producer andrew just said it's leto and todd just said it's leto (laughs) um but i don't envy him to be the one that has to try and portray the joker following up heath ledger because there's no way it's gonna hold up um, and you don't want to be the guy that follows the legend. You want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows the legend. <laughs> so whoever gets to tackle Joker next is probably going to be better received than, uh, this upcoming iteration that's going to be in Suicide Squad because this turn of the Joker is just so charismatic and so, uh, it blew Jack Nicholson out of the water, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it, for me, it's like any discussions of the best Jokers we've had have to be Mark Hamill and Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger. Yeah. Um, but what is it about his performance that 
is so very good. It's so real. Like, so he... All right, you're talking about a man in clown paint. <laughs> yeah. He came up with the, the makeup design himself. Yeah. And, like, throughout the film, if you look closely, you can see the white powder on his hands. Yeah, you, to like, you can see, like, himself. makeup is rubbing off on his clothes yeah. and his hands. And to prepare for the role, he locked himself inside a hotel room, like, perfecting the laugh and the voice for six weeks before filming. That's a lot of method acting. It's commitment. <laughs> yes. There's something, there's something but, really, okay. like, if you're comparing him to, to Nicholson's uh, Joker, there's something really raw and like really unhinged in the way that that this joker is portrayed it, 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 you can see his like i mean spe- talking about his makeup like you can see it rubbed off you can see the the it smeared mm-hmm. like smeared with his sweat and 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 you can see it rubbing off at times and it looks very like very homemade and and there's something raw just in in like the visual of him but also, like emotionally, he is he is chaos. Like you never know what he's going to do, and it, it's it, you never know what he's going to say or how he's going to act to people. And there's something really disturbing about. I mean, if we say like that that the the genesis of fear is the unknown, then he is like the most terrifying character because his his only motivation is to keep you guessing. As to what he'll do next. Yeah. And I think also we need to recognize the physicality, the way Heath Ledger like physically inhabited the Joker. You get the very hunched over posture. Uh-huh. You get his eyes flickering around left and right. His tongue, his tongue licking out. The, yes. t- the tongue. The the, the, yeah. His mouth, the way that he, the and, way and that he acts with his constantly with his lips. licking his lips. And also his enunciation of the words. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just takes it all to a level that I don't think we'd seen before for how do you embody the idea of chaos? Which, um, I mean, we see other villains that are like Loki from Marvel. One of their better film villains is the, you know, the God of chaos, mm-hmm. the God of mischief, but it's, it's just a very different style of mischief. Like Loki's mischief is more, um, scheming for his own benefit. Whereas Joker's, is, is he doesn't just care about himself. pure and utter chaos. Though at the same time that he says that, and he even talks about like, I'm a dog that's just chasing cars. Like, I don't, I don't know what I, I do if I caught one. I caught one. Um, you know, that I'm just going, he's not, it's not pure chaos because he is targeting icons. Like he is targeting things that are going to give the most bang for his buck. He's targeting, you know, money for the mob. He's targeting these, the icons of leadership for the city and also, you know, Batman himself. So it's not just completely random. He's going for symbolic value in his chaos. Well, what he says in that hospital scene with Harvey Dent, he says, do I look like a guy with a plan? And he says... The police and Batman, they're schemers. And what I'm trying to do is show how pathetic their plans really are. That's why I think he says the line. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's almost a direct quote, but I would, I would like kind of challenge that. Like, is it true that the Joker is not a schemer? Like, that's all he does is he lay, got those, all he does is lay he plans. Them up. And, and they're remarkably perfect plans, uh, you know, that, rely on people reacting the way that he wants them to react. He wants to have a ferry full of prisoners and a ferry full of normal yeah, citizens, think, and he gets just that. Think about the opening scene, that opening heist. That's a perfectly planned thing, right? Like it's I mean, it's like poetry or, or like a choreographed dance, the way that he walks. It's like a Rube Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to say that he's not a schemer, I don't, I don't know that I, that I buy that. I know that that's what he says. 
but I don't know that I'd believe him. The, the, the interesting question for me is what is his motivation? And like even Loki, I don't know Loki in the comics, but Loki in the film, there's, there's like an emotional thing that goes on with the frost giants and his, and his dad and he wants to be king. And like, you can see motivation behind him, but, but with Joker, he's just a completely blank slate, and all he wants to do is seed chaos. And I, I know that he, I know that he targets these big, symbolic icons because he knows that he'll get, he'll be able to create more chaos, right? Like, he, he doesn't get the same bang for his buck if he's, if he's meddling with, I don't know, prostitutes and drug dealers in like some seedy corner of Gotham as he does, getting as he's able to with. Um, dealing with the mob and with Batman and with, with Harvey. But I think in the end, like personally for him, I don't know that it really matters that much as long as he's, he, he just he, like he's, there's something so playful in what he does. And that's also terrifying. Yeah. Well, he says he doesn't want to kill Batman because you're just too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just trying to amuse himself, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's I mean, a strange. We, it's a strange character because the, the it's, it really seems like the only motivation is seed chaos, and he's really, really good at doing that. And he has these extremely elaborate plans to do it, but in the end, he just wants to see people feel terrified. And we get like snippets, uh, or, or we get versions of his history. But I mean, we mentioned Heath Ledger's like total commitment to this role. But what are you latching onto if you're trying to play this? Because there's no. He says his. There's no yeah, past. There's multiple stories. Yeah, like there's multiple versions of his past that he's given, and in the uh, the Killing Joke, the the Joker says in that like if I have a personal history, I want it to be a multiple choice. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. The because uh, uh, in that in that I think we're given a couple of versions of our possible origins for the Joker. It's a definite. It's like people so, make it canon, right? This kind of gets me back to another one of my kind of questions about this film, or one of the things that I don't know makes it like not my favorite Batman story in the world is that I love uh, Batman stories that are detective stories. And we don't, I don't feel like we get a lot of Batman, the detective in this film. Well, if he somehow fantastically he, gets fingerprints <laughs> off a shattered bullet. In yeah. World. There's that one moment where it doesn't really make sense. Like that's the most detective thing in there. And it almost feels like it was put into show. He's a detective where he, scans a bullet that's still inside of a brick <laughs> yeah. and re uh, as, uh, reconstructs, reconstructs the fingerprint that was on the bullet. I don't know what he does exactly. When he had to test other bullets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think right. the, the, the idea, right. right. The idea and is that, that if he's able to, address, which is a ruse. And then it has two that Joker, Joker was already planning on him figuring this out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause Joker yeah. had it set up when he does figure this out. It just doesn't feel like a great detective story to me. It's certainly an interesting, like, character study. It's interesting to see the Joker just do do the Joker. But that I mean, that's the most interesting thing about this film, for, for sure. Um, I, and I think Harvey Dent's character also is really interesting in the way that we see him kind of spiral down. Uh, but, but we don't get the thing that I love the most about a great Batman story is Batman being a detective, and we don't get a lot of that. And, and I, 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 I just... Go ahead. No, oh, I was just gonna say. At least he's not as bad a detective as ben Batman and Batman versus <laughs> Superman. That was so bad. Let's try and not go there. <laughs> um, but I was gonna say, 
so the themes that we see in this film, so, so like the most interesting thing is the Joker. And I think that gives us a, a good lens to get into some of the ideas that seem to be at play in here. And I remember coming across a quote from David S. Goyer where he said, like, the theme that we really wanted to explore was escalation. Like, you introduce a Batman into a city to try and stop crime. But what is the escalation that happens? And I think we get, obviously, there's the Joker himself, you know, is a new breed of criminal, as he says that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, it doesn't say something new about classic criminal. Yeah. I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, that um, is a response to the idea of this masked vigilante that's running around. But we also get the escalation in terms of Harvey Dent. Uh, you know, he's a better good person and then also, uh, you know, a worse when he becomes mm-hmm. a villain. You know, it, so we're seeing escalation happening on several fronts. Right. But it's all being brought about through the Joker. Uh, but if you're saying that the Joker is just this first response to Batman, it makes Batman in some ways culpable for everything that happens in this film. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's a classic argument in comics is Batman, with because of his his moral code, which, <laughs> uh, you know, doesn't allow him to kill the criminals. So, again, maybe some bystanders in this yeah, one, depending but, on how, how you read that comic. <laughs> um, but uh, does that mean that every time... The Joker breaks out of Arkham Asylum. <laughs> Batman is, you know, needs to be able to make that final decision to really end this. Because, I mean, in the comics at this point, it's well, says 75 plus years of, of them doing this dance. Right. So is, it, when we're talking about escalation, does Batman need to escalate his methodologies when he's dealing with these new kinds of criminals? Well, he does, he does and, escalate I, his I, methodology I think, with the, with the tech, with the tech thing, right? With the phones. Right. And like, I know I wouldn't really do this, but, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you think about, I mean, it, it, it gets into really, a really interesting ethical question, right? Like if you think about the long-term destruction that, that having a, a living Joker will, will do is, is it, is it so bad to think like, let's just put a bullet in this guy and be done with him. Is that, or is that, is that such a worse falls off? Mm-hmm. Right. Is Which, that is that such a worse actually, well, ethical well, that, thing? That goes back to Batman Begins. And Batman Begins, he says, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you either. And then, and then the Dark Knight, he does save him. Like, he didn't have to catch the Joker. The Joker's falling off a building, but Batman catches him with his magic utility rope. Yes, which somehow, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, don't right? think about it. And so, in some ways, we have the same scene that was there and Batman Begins, but he's making a different choice. And is this, like... But, I mean, is it an escalation of him, like, choosing to be even better and not allow that death? But like you said, Todd, the methodologies they do that he does to find where the Joker is are really entering moral areas that are quite questionable that Lucius Fox isn't comfortable with. And Lucius Fox has kind of been, you know, the... A he's good voice of reason Batman. to Batman. Like, he's been giving him everything, but he's also been like, okay, this is exactly what you can do with this. Don't, please don't do anything more. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lucius, is, Lucius line, is fine right? with all of this stuff. He's like the great enabler, right? <laughs> if we talk yeah. about Batman as, like, as a sociopath or something. We can't do this. <laughs> yeah, but, but then, but then Bruce, or Batman says, you know, it's just this one time, and Lucius is like, you know, fine, whatever. But it's, I don't know. It's it's a kind of a it's kind of a complicated thing. It doesn't. It, if I think about like um, like our discussion of Kilkenny, we talked about his code, like the code of the West, the the Cowboys of Moo Mesa, and the code of the West. Like I don't I don't see Batman as adhering as strictly to a code, even as as like you know somebody like Kilkenny. 
he seems to he seems pretty comfortable like uh adjusting his code as he as he as he needs to like on the fly to get what to get done what yeah, he feels like needs to get done I think it depends on what version of Batman we're talking about for that, because it's a character with you know seventy five plus years of history. There have been so many iterations. Yeah, in the I'm talking about so this. Ver- I'm talking about this the- version of Batman. Yeah, and with this one, I agree. I, I think, but again, it makes it really interesting though. If we're saying that he's so flexible in his moral code, why does he catch the Joker? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, in the comics, I know he has a famous line where he says, "If I go down there with him." I'll never be able to come back from that pit. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, he was just down there with Ra's yeah. al Ghul in the in mm-hmm. Batman Begins. <laughs> but I, I think this kind of these questions about what is the right thing to do in this moment—that's what the film is hoping we ask. Yeah, I, I mean, they made it really explicit <laughs> with the, the fairy situation. They want the viewers and the audience to be asking. What's the right thing to do if Batman's trying to save lives? Does Joker's life have, you know, more value than anyone right. else's? I think. And this is, well, Joker's actively taking other people's lives, so maybe. Well, this is say. another of the great things about this film, <laughs> is um, when we talked about Batman versus Superman, we talked about just how how like unflinchingly oh. grim that that film is, and there but there isn't a lot of. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of interesting or sophisticated questions that come that can come out of that film like there are with this one like there's so much to think about with with all three of these these you know main characters um harvey joker and and batman there's so many ethical questions going on in here and like existential questions it's the reason why people go back and watch this film over and over and over again because these are extremely compelling characters uh, interacting with each other in fascinating ways and and uh, creating a springboard for all kinds of really interesting philosophical and ethical uh, questions. And so, like, it makes, like, the grim nature of it uh, more, I don't know, palatable or something. Um, or um, there's more value to it, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Whereas, uh, I mean, I, I, can't, I don't want to go down the road of piling up, but the Batman versus Superman just felt like it was wallowing in grimness, but there wasn't. It just felt empty. It felt empty to me. And to this all. film like it, feels full. Yeah. Like it's, it feels yeah, it's emotionally, with, it's emotionally full. Um, and it's like philosophically it's full. There's so much meat, uh, there and so many different things to think about. So like when you're saying this, that there's so many different things to think about, like I was just kind of running through, like what are other interesting scenes? And like the first one that popped up is kind of a minor scene, but it's also really interesting when Alfred chooses not to give Bruce Wayne, the letter from Rachel. Uh Um, and it made me think of kind of in much ado about nothing. When we talked about deception and like, when is deception? Okay. (laughs) Um, like this is willful denial of truth. Well, that someone wanted Bruce Wayne to have, right? Yeah. Um, and so was Alfred – I mean this is another one. Was Alfred doing the right thing? <laughs> yeah, and, and to think about um, Rachel and this, you know, the situation that she's in. And yeah. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal does a really good job in this film. And I can't imagine how hard it would be to, to pick up in a, in, a, in a trilogy like this for her to just jump into this role. And because she didn't play – she didn't play Rachel in the first film. It was Katie Holmes that played it in the first film. And I think she does a really good job. 
And like I said earlier, yeah. like her interaction with Joker in that film, in that in that scene, is is pretty great. Like that's really good acting. Um, and I think she does a really good job here. And I think so. There's a risk um, of a trope in superhero stories that. Uh, a writer named Gail Simone identified as women in refrigerators, which is when you have male protagonists who get motivation from violence enacted upon female characters. And the female characters aren't agents right. to themselves. They're just victims that are waiting for the male characters. And I think this, in some ways, heads in that direction. But those moments where Rachel stands up to the Joker and that moment where um, she knows she's dying, but she accepts it and hopes that a greater good yeah. comes out of it. And she, you know, she gives her, she gives a monologue to Harvey Dent when she and Harvey are able to talk to each other and they're both watching a clicking talk, uh, clicking, a ticking <laughs> clock. <laughs> ah, clicking little in there. Uh, they're watching a, uh, a clicking <laughs> talk, counting down to their deaths. Um, I, she's not passive in a way that often those roles yeah. get written. <laughs> it's not, it's not like, it's not going to be on the top five, like, greatest feminist films of all times. Oh, absolutely no. <laughs> absolutely but, not. But I like I, I like what she does. I, I'm not making that I like argument. what she does with what she's given with that role. And I mean given the parameters of the story, uh I think uh, I, I I like her. I like her in this film. I think she I think she does a good job given a really hard situation. Rachel plays a significant role in Batman's motives cuz at the beginning of the film he says that once that uh, Harvey Dent has put up all those criminals, he says that that this is his chance to be with Rachel, that Rachel's his hope for a normal life. But in reality, Batman, he'll never have a normal life. He's <laughs> a crazy person, but Ra- he legitimately thinks that Rachel's that, that chance he has. And uh, Rachel then, you know, chooses Harvey, but Batman really loves her and really thinks that they could have a life together. Even though he's Yeah, bad. it's, it, it, again, like, I think our I'm so glad that when we when we picked a Louis L'Amour film, uh, novel that we picked Kilkenny because he's such a like pr- uh, iconic kind of prototypical Wild West hero but he also has that same vision right like I just want to settle down and y- y- you can almost hear Bruce Wayne saying like I just want to find a a nice ranch up in the hills and settle down with my woman and <laughs> uh, but unlike what happens with Wait for it, Bruce. Wait for it. One more film. <laughs> Unlike what happens with Kilkenny, it just like it's never going to happen because because Bruce Wayne is crazy and Kilkenny's not. Well, I mean, The Dark Knight Rises though does give us the coda of him. Off yeah, I get. Well, you're right. Uh, Catwoman. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you survive the nuclear explosion. Yeah, there's there's some other questions yeah. <laughs> about the logistics of that escape. <laughs> um. <laughs> I feel, is that one less probable than the falling off the skyscraper? I feel like the title of this show, of this of this episode, should be "Don't think about it." <laughs> the, the, well, okay, think about the ideas. Don't think about yeah, the physics. Yeah, ab- absolutely. <laughs> the science does not add up. Yes, the, the science does not check out at all. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to this film that, in, in even given as many as many places where, like structurally, the story is pretty complicated and you know like the laws of physics are completely ignored um man it just gets such a pass on all of those things because of the character development and the interaction (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the and the ethical questions that are brought up it's what you know pushes it to the top of so many people's lists of superhero films 
even if we can, you know, start questioning some of the points of execution, like the abstract level of like, what story are we going to tell? And what are the themes? Like that part is so sound right. in this. And, yeah. and they had such a clear vision of what themes they wanted to introduce and how they can use these larger than life characters in order to foster that discussion and present some discussion on, on those ideas. That part is so sound that I don't care that Batman and Rachel would be dead, <laughs> you know, yeah. at the end of the first act of the film. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I am still happy to sit and talk about the film. Whereas, um, there are films that don't, I mean, like we said, that maybe don't have the, that ring hollow that all you end up thinking about are those problems mm-hmm. and you just start picking at those because there's nothing else that's worth thinking about in the film. But this one has so many interesting concepts that are so rich for, for viewer that you, you just kind of push past and say whatever well, <laughs> about some of the aspects of it. Like, well, before we started recording, producer Andrew has said, like, I watched it about half a dozen times before I really started to nitpick at all the things because the story is so deep. It needs to be analyzed so much that it's so full. And then you kind of, after that, you start to notice like, I don't know about <laughs> that. You know, what, how does he survive that fall? But I yeah. do wish we had the scene of Heath Ledger looking out the window after Batman and Rachel fell and him exiting awkwardly from the party. Yeah. <laughs> like you just going over, pressing the elevator and like looking at everyone as he's hunched over and he's, he keeps pressing the button cause the elevator's not coming fast enough. So I, I want to ask you, you two a question about Harvey Dent. And it has to do with his transformation between being Harvey Dent and being Two-Face. Um, and the question is, and I don't know where I stand on this and having only seen it twice in my life, which is probably as many times as you two saw it in like the first week that it was <laughs> available. <laughs> um, so the question is, I, I feel myself going back and forth on how how much I buy his descent into madness. Because it seems so sudden, and and so I'm left with, given mm-hmm. given just the rapid nature of his descent into madness and his willingness to just start flipping a coin and killing people, uh, I I feel like we're left with two options. Option uh, one is there was always something kind of unhinged inside of Harvey Dent, and that the trauma of losing Rachel just brought out something that was already there. And like maybe well, just okay, well, twofold maybe just like uh, <laughs> just below the surface, and the physical trauma of having you know his face burned off. Um, and then the other the other option is that he really was the White Knight, and that he he really could have been Batman's replacement, right? That 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 Bruce Wayne's plan really could mm-hmm. have succeeded, but it was the moment of losing Rachel and having his face burned off that just like broke everything and sent him to a place where he never would have gone otherwise. Does that make sense? Does the question make sense? Yeah. So yeah. how do you feel well, about that? At the beginning of the film, uh, when in the hospital, when he's talking to Gordon, he says, what was the, the nickname they had for me back at the police office or whatever? Cause he was he an says, internal affairs officer. Yeah. And then he's like, he doesn't want to talk and he's like, say it. And he's a like, Harvey two faced. And then he's like, you know, that's like he had his one bad day and now he's mad like the Joker. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I may be blending different Joker stories. Is it in, I don't think he ever says it in this movie, but I think in the killing joke, he says one bad day and anyone would be like, yeah, me. that's like, that's all that separates movie. any normal person from yeah. being me is uh-huh. one bad day. Mm-hmm. And I we're given 
the yes, worst possible day, one bad day for Harvey Dent. <laughs> um, and it does turn Harvey Dent into mm-hmm. this another agent of chaos because mm-hmm. uh, he's living, he's leaving fate up to these this coin yeah. toss. <laughs> because there are because there are people who have um, bad I, days and they don't turn into psychopaths that don't right? <laughs> that don't yeah they they don't become larger than life. No, villains. yeah, mm-hmm. most people. Uh, in fact, most yeah. people. That suffer like personal trauma, <laughs> do not turn into mass murderers, right? They they grieve, <laughs> they grieve, and they and they might they might suffer with depression well, for a long time. A lot of people don't have half their face burned off. Yeah, but even people who do have their face burned off don't I mean, turn into don't turn into that. And so, like, just to say, well, yeah, he had yeah. a bad day, and so anybody with a bad day that they could turn into that. I'm like, I don't buy that. I think that I think that I find myself leaning more towards like there's something kind of unhinged about Harvey Dent or, or earlier on and we don't see it we get we get a sense of it from what uh Gordon's What's the closest twinkle we what? get when uh when the gun is pulled on him in the thing and he, he punches like, the guy in the face uh-huh. <laughs> a little gleefully Yeah he's at like, that I'm not done your honor he's you know he has a real desire for justice, but now he just wants vengeance to those responsible for his potential fiance's death. I mean, we have to say that, I mean, this whole film is about this hyper reality. You know, yes. this, uh, so everything is, is much sure. more extreme. So is his reaction more extreme than anyone else's? Absolutely. <laughs> but, but everything else in this film is existing in this version of reality where extreme reactions are the norm. But, I, I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I, I know that's kind of a cop-out answer. I think there had to be something there before, and we maybe get some hints of it in, like, that gleeful reaction to being able to punch out a guy <laughs> inside a courtroom and, the you know, these hints to his past as being the internal affairs officer that was bringing down the bad cops probably by being bad himself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and catching on is to it, them that Is way. it almost like a like a Javert kind of um, thing? Like, you're, you're pr- yeah. pursuing so fanatically the thing that you're that you're most afraid of inside of yourself? I think that feels true to the version of Harvey Dent that we get in this film. Well, um, I remember back to your Planet Hulk episode, you talked about, like, the sudden change that really hurts. It makes someone, like, you know, Hulk, his his wife, like, gets blown up or whatever. Well, and his planet. Yeah, and his planet. <laughs> and then, you know, he wants revenge immediately for the people responsible for this. And in this, you know, he loses half his face and then his fiance gets killed. And now he just immediately wants revenge on all those responsible. And it, I, I guess he does have a focus. Like, he's going after the bad cops first. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not too concerned about the collateral damage because he shoots the driver. Yeah. <laughs> Which, bad driver letting uh, Aaron Eckhart sit in the back of the car mm-hmm. before the mob boss got in. <laughs> you should you should have caught him back yeah. there. <laughs> I think that's part Once of your again. job. Once again. make sure there's not a mass murderer back there. Once again, don't think about, don't think about those uh, kinds of things too hard, right? But also, I think, um, going back to one of your earlier points, like, we never see the driver. So, in some ways, the violence there is a little distanced uh, for us and becomes less. But uh, we still feel it. Yeah, but it, but we don't see the driver. We don't see the driver get shot. Um, it's this off-screen violence that still has a weight yeah. to it, though. Because the randomness of him getting the bad side of the coin, you feel like that's unfair. <laughs> His death mm. wasn't, uh, wasn't deserved. Uh, but it's still handled in, uh, as far as filmmaking, a kind of a discreet way. What is the what is the guy early in uh, Firefly? Was it, does that seem right to you? Like, <laughs> there's so much of that. <laughs> there's so much of that in this film where something happens, and I just in my in my head I can see early saying, 
does that seem right to you? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, that does not seem right to me. All right. Well, any final thoughts? I think we need to be wrapping up here, guys. So any final thoughts, Henry, about the Joker or the film The Dark Knight? Rest in peace, Heath Ledger. It's yeah, I, obviously, incredibly talented actor uh, mm-hmm. that is giving this tour de force performance in this film, and it's so so unfortunate that mm-hmm. we, this was one of his last performances that we were able to see. Todd, do you have any final thoughts? Um, no, I, I I'm glad that I got to see it one more time. I don't. I'm really not looking forward to seeing it maybe ever again. I just it's just so, <laughs> it, it really. I mean, I don't know. I think. It's something that I tell my students is is that you never know the kind of reaction that you're going to have to something. And I think it's totally okay to kind of own, you know, like have the self-awareness to say, to recognize how a, a piece of art is affecting you. And there's something about this film that affects me in ways that make me just so uncomfortable that I just, I'm, I'm not looking forward to watching this film again. Um, even Even while at the same <laughs> I, time I can recognize... Mm-hmm. What a what a remarkable piece of 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 art it is. Yeah, I think it takes real maturity mm-hmm. to be able to do both those things at the same time, and not just dismiss something because it makes you feel yeah. you know dark inside, and just say, "Well, it must not be good." Mm-hmm. Um, but also to to say it's not for me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, 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 but I see there's how there's merit in it, and that other people can enjoy it, but it's not yeah. for me. And it's like it's it's fine for other people, and I'm not like sitting here judging everybody that loves this film and saying like you're you're all horrible people or insensitive or anything just like for me personally there's something mm-hmm. about it that it, it it's not even i mean i've seen other films before that make me feel uncomfortable and i'm like nah you know it's not my favorite but if somebody was like hey you want to watch this i'd say sure but this film really like i just i don't want to watch it again well there's a definite difference in liking something and acknowledging that something is good and i think that this is a really good example yeah. of that mm mm-hmm. mhm and I was just to say, I think there are so many concepts and ideas in this that we've only scratched the surface. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, we we barely addressed some of the ethical dilemmas that are being presented. There's mm-hmm. so many. I mean, we could definitely dig into Alfred and into Lucius Fox and yes. and Gordon's decision to pretend to be dead to his family. Like we didn't even acknowledge that, and that's kind of All an obvious. The film. family grief. <laughs> so bad, and I'm not sure what was gained by it. <laughs> Um, but there, but I think there's a discussion worth having there. And so uh, if you've not watched this film, I think it's worth the viewing just to see what kind of questions yes. pop up to you and, and how, uh, you end up pondering, uh, the different beats of the film. Yeah. All right. I believe that wraps up this episode. Thank you for joining us listeners and please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in iTunes and leave us a review. It helps with our listenership and also our feelings of self-worth and links to things that we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. And that's where you can also find a list of all of our previous shows and you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. And we're all on Twitter. We're at protagonistpod at Todd K. Mac at Jay Dorowski. Henry, are you on any social media there? Any Twitter? Uh, you wouldn't care about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, but I guess this is a good point. We'll pause here in the outro. Henry, what is your dinner uh, party question? So we ask our guests if you could yeah. have uh, three or sometimes to five. I think some guests want to stretch it. Fictional characters at a dinner party. Who would you want to have there just for the discussions that would oh. uh, follow? All right. I'm going to ask Hermit Luke. To be there. Hermit Luke, meaning, him, meaning the Luke from doing, buddy? The Force Awakens. You know, there's another Death Star to blow up, but uh, Batman. I'd ask Batman to be there. <laughs> okay. Mm. 
they could have an interesting conversation about darkness and such. About brooding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Loneliness. Where, what's your best position for a good brood? <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell you, you who like would be an interesting like dinner like party would myself. be Batman, Joker, a and Harvey Dent. far away from everyone else. <laughs> uh, and then for the last one, I'm going to go with Jean Valjean. Jean okay. Valjean. Well done. <laughs> You've got some, some interesting conversations some with demons. Ensue. Some characters with demons, it seems. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can help them work out some of their issues. Yeah. All right. Um, it is also a great place for you to follow a discussion and participate in discussion is if you go to our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. And if you just hit like on that page, you'll be able to see every post that we have and be able to follow the discussions um, that, that come after our show's post. And if you would like to support us financially, which I imagine everyone listening to these words would love to support us uh, financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. Uh, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or just show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to... Patreon.com slash Protagonist Podcast. That's it. Henry knows. Our guest knows. You can go to Patreon.com slash Protagonist and make a donation there. And don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial at Audible.com by going to AudibleTrial.com slash Protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. Uh, but okay. we, before we get uh, to that, before I, we jump into that, oh, I'll, do you want me to do this part? Sure, why don't you go ahead? Okay, there's a little lag <laughs> in our conversation. <laughs> right. I'm catching on. To, uh, yeah, Andrew, there's yeah. a lag. We're, I'm not sure how smooth this is going to go.